everybody, my name's Neil White, I'm from Backpage. This is the Tuesday, June 21st edition of the Big Interview with Graham Hunter at the Euros. We're recording this the day after Wales progressed to the knockout phase of a second successive European Championship alongside a real Italian team managed by the best-dressed man at the Euro, Roberto Mancini. You cannot chip-shot your way through Bobby Mancini that way and say best-dressed best described man on this podcast series, I think is the phrase that you are reaching for. Dear listeners, if you haven't already listened to Gianluca Viali talking about his, um, now that it wasn't the Glimmer twins, were they? What were they, the gold twins or the twins of evil? Viali and Mancini were the twins of something at Sampdoria. Twins of nonsense, no doubt. And Viali describing Mancini on our series is absolutely brilliant as we sat in his sumptuous central London butler attended to uh, apartment and um, Spenis Penis talking about um, Mancini sitting on the, the graveyard wall in, in Genoa and talking to the gravestone of Presidente Mantovani who was the chief at, at uh, Samp who, who united them all and, um, and won them the title so best dressed man I say to you <laughs> best described man and if you would like to hear the Mancini stories that Graham's just referred to, back in April on this very podcast feed, we did an icon special about Mancini, which features everybody who's spoken about um, Roberto Mancini on the podcast in one glorious uh, sort of clip show episode. So just whiz back on your podcast app to April the 16th or thereabout, and you are going to find that gold. And they are some of the best stories um, that we've ever had on the show. When people who played with or coached Mancini talked about him, their eyes lit up. It was amazing. Okay, listen, we're going to be talking Spain in more detail on Wednesday. But I was watching the match that made you so angry on ITV. ITV ITV are having a strong tournament, by the way. The CoCom was Lee Dixon. Now, it's not unusual for UK TV to focus on Premier League storylines, but... Dixon spoke a bit about the ways in which the introduction of Adama Traore might have given Spain a different kind of weapon. Are you surprised that you haven't seen Traore off the bench so far in this tournament? Um, in, in some ways, I have to say yes, because nobody listening to this needs me to tell them what Traore does. And it's patently obvious what he does. I'm not, I, I, I try one of the things I try hardest every day, particularly in my work life, no, I, I, I mean, sorry, anybody who knows me, I mean, particularly in my personal life and also occasionally in my professional life, is not to be a hypocrite. And um, I, I don't think in general that Adama Traore is an international footballer. I think he's, he's um, deeply predictable. And I think that if, you, if you're caught by him where your, your structure is a bit dishevelled, if you're uh, particularly, I suppose, a left-back who is a little bit timid or a little bit slow, then Adama Traore patently has impact, he has power, he has shooting power. I think in a, in a low proportion uh, number of times when he gets himself into spaces, he can create a goal. I think that that's one of the things that ticks me off most. Um, he's never completely certain what he's going to do himself and... And therefore, by the time he gets himself a bit of room, his use of the ball c- can be disappointing. Would uh, would a top form Adama Traore have added something to that game where Spain looked timid and pallid 
and unable to to cause Poland uh, confusion and nerves. I see his point. I definitely see his point. And given the situation that were there, that they were in for a a fifteen twenty minute spell where Poland, I don't think many of their players have had to to deal with Traore, so he's somewhat unknown. No matter how much video you've studied, the first time he opens his his throttle and disappears off, you go, "Oh, I'm in trouble here." Yeah, I can see the point. I, it's it's not the first thing that I'd be reaching for, Neil. I, I can't understand that Llorente, um, who is he's he has he has an unquenchable flame of running, attacking. He will never ever suffer a lack of confidence. It's just the way he's built. When others, you know, their their butthole clenched, um, squeaky bum time, as Alec called it, after the penalty was missed, not. Not simply after Lewandowski scored, but after the penalty was missed, there was patently a, a clenching of buttocks and a, oh God, we better not lose here. And Durante isn't like that. For those who didn't follow the stats, he either scored or made a total of 25 goals last season while becoming champion. No way should he be playing it right back. So before you think about Adama Traore on the right wing, Either go to three five two and have Llorente far higher up the pitch as a rampaging wing back, or just play him in midfield where he belongs. Play him in right midfield where square pegs, square holes, round pegs, round holes in a tournament helps even more than in a league campaign. Lee Dixon's point, Neil, glad you raised it. I think we thought that Adama had a big chance because in the last training session we only saw part of it, but when the bibs were being handed out. The majority of the pink bibs went to the, again, the majority of the players who'd started the the first game against Sweden. And Traore was given one of those bibs. So it turned out to be a spoof. Um, and and while he was warming up and then there were still there was still room to bring him on, yeah, a little bit of a surprise didn't come on. If, if Lee's asking, which is not what you said, that Traore should start the next game, I'm a little bit unconvinced. I don't think he was making the case. I think it was in that game situation where things... I mean, this was post-penalty miss and, you know, there were issues. There were, you know, there were something... They needed something different. I mean, what I really liked about your... Um, we're going to have to come up with a phrase for these episodes that you record. Letter from America. For those who didn't live through the Alistair Cook era on Radio 4, Alistair Cook was an English journalist who was trained by The Guardian. Hello, Rudy. That was Rudy in the background there. Don't cut him out. Alistair Cook, every Sunday morning, used to read out something that I think was about a 20-minute uh, voiced... It was called The Letter from America, and he just considered an issue of the day, and it went from society, through politics, through showbiz, through sport, and it was utterly brilliant, and it conditioned my mind as to what you should be doing if you have a journalistic voice, not just written voice. So you can call it Letter from America, asterisk Spain, whatever you want, but it's, it's Bumper's Letter from... The Euros. Well, I do enjoy those episodes that you just sort of record solo immediately after a game. And what I liked about the last one off the back of uh, Spain 1, Poland 1, was the identification of this kind of non-technical aspect of football. And players talk about it all the time, mentality. And that was what was, like, that was, what was lacking. And Luente is a, is, a, is a player who doesn't just bring the things that you described, but, you know, he seems like a, a bigger character. He's, he's steeped. The, the big thing about that I, I didn't back reference when I was introducing, but you give me a, a clue to now is that, you know, his father, his uncle, his great uncle, his great uncle was Paco Gento, won six European Cups with Real Madrid. 
both his father and his father's brothers were professional footballers at a high level. He's been, he's inherited the genes. He's been steeped in football pressure, football culture since he was a little kid. He's, um, he's tough and, and he's renowned throughout Spain for being the single most dedicated player in the entire country to fitness, well-being, diet, um, any, any, any tactics he can use to keep his his mind clear. He he's not a Lewandowski. He's Lewandowski by this stage in his mid thirties has proved himself to be one of the great European strikers. But Lewandowski and Raúl in his time lived this Spartan life of everything, everything towards bettering myself, and that's how Llorente lives. And therefore, he's he's much more immune to what if something goes wrong. That's part of the psychology. That 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 what if something goes wrong compared to what have I got to gain? That's the seesaw that operated against Spain after the penalty miss. Okay, look, we're going to get into all of this much uh, in much more detail in tomorrow's podcast. So let's take a very quick break and then we'll move on to Group D. Welcome back and we'll leave Spain in the rearview mirror for now and focus our attention to Group D where England and Czech Republic will duel for first place. Any loser of that game could yet face elimination where Scotland or Croatia could yet nick second with a hefty win and where all of them could still finish third and either go through or not depending on how it shakes down elsewhere. I hope I am correct in all of that. Let's talk England first, Graham. Southgate's team selection will be interesting. On one hand, um, you've spoken before about this manager who has shown a lot of loyalty to his core guys. But on the other hand, there seems to be almost unique in his time as England head coach, amounting pressure from the outside to give more minutes to the players on a bench that is unbelievably deep in elite talent. I, th- I think there are a range of questions. First of all, one of the more prosaic ones is, is Harry Maguire fit? Well, you know, it's one of these decision trees. If he's fit, match fit, you've got, an, you've got a debate about whether he starts or not. And everyone will say, well, look at Stones and Mings. Um, they played well together this tournament and haven't conceded. I think England's goal ratio in the last eight or nine games, I think they've conceded two or three it, it, they've been stingy, really miserly. That's not how football works. Um, Maguire is is England's lead centre half, and and that divides people because there are people who think that he's not a fantastic footballer, but I think he's proven to be one of uh, the manager's touchstone footballers, favourite footballers. I think it's patently clear that he has developed at uh, Manchester United, and I think he's been part of what is a Manchester United side that is now. Far more interesting. Um, did they miss him in the Europa League final? P- probably they did. Um, is he a better footballer than Tyrone Mings? I think probably he is. And therefore, if he's match fit, I think you bring him into the game that's not a knockout, pure knockout game. You you listed one of your possibilities as England if they lost going out. It feels like a distant chance to me. So... Let's say it, it exists as a percentage opportunity. It's still not a knockout game. This is not a knockout game, pure knockout game. Loser goes out. So there's a margin for saying, well, if we don't play Harry Maguire now, is Tyron Ming's first choice? He's been first choice because Maguire's been injured. And the next game for England is going to be pure knockout. Possibly a winnable one. 
you know, very possible a winnable one. But nonetheless, give Maguire the match practice that his injury has stripped away from him. So for my money, if Maguire behind the scenes is proving that he is fully match fit playing, I think um, energy is a big thing in this tournament as well. Um, 62% of the goals are coming in the second half. You know, I haven't calculated season on season in the big leagues, but I think that's anomalous. I think that a lot of teams now are already beginning to feel the heat, feel the energy, are beginning to tire. I think the idea about seeing stalemate football is being overtaken by seeing teams leaving gaps as games go on. And I think that refreshing a team just to challenge players is, is a good idea. Grealish has to start. I I didn't think... The, the odd thing is, the anomaly is, maybe against the Czech Republic in a game you don't want to lose, the idea of um, Phillips and Rice in a double pivot is a good idea. I don't think it was the right idea against Scotland. I think it benefited us in just just reducing the claw, you know, the cutting edge, the, the, the creative um, thrill in, in midfield for England. And now maybe there's slightly more of a case against the potential group winners. <laughs> and therefore, do you stick or do you twist? Well, my regard, and we'll talk about this later, for Grealish is so high that that's one of the changes I would make. I think I would probably ask uh, Calvin Phillips to maybe be a second half um, force coming on and initially Rice to be the organiser, the, the, the pivot, and, and Grealish to come in. And then, there's, then there are really big questions. I think that there would be a massive case for the manager not saying, which is what he has said, Harry Kane and 10 others, the way that Luis Enrique said was Morata, and look what happened. Morata played quite well. He got his goal. It, it was other parts of the team, I think, that began to let the side down if you nudge aside Morata's inability to tuck away the penalty rebound. There was a there was a payback there. I don't believe any of us are saying that, that Kane is wildly out of form. What we're saying is that his games so far have looked like he's a little bit tired, that the supply chain isn't very good, but I've asked for Grealish to be brought in. Supply chain changes a little bit. And I think there'll be a bigger case for, for Southgate going, I'm going to rest Harry Kane. I'm bringing him on with 30 minutes to go because Rashford is full of energy. There's no pain in his shoulder. And that's not the case. Rashford's shoulder has been has been dogging him for weeks. And I think that um, I might still be risking starting with Rashford and asking Harry Kane to, to just conserve his energy, be riled by being rested and come on. Southgate's not going to do that. So that maybe leaves a question about, is it time for Sancho? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I think Southgate won't be revolutionary. I wouldn't expect more than two or three changes. And I think that um, England weren't... England, if you were English, disappointed Jürgen Scott. But I didn't think they were that bad. Um, Neither were they utterly sensational against Croatia. But I liked them. I thought that they were... The dynamic, they, they tucked away a team that they should tuck away. They bullied them. And, and the Czechs look a little bit quicker. And Schick's on form, much greater form than he's been in either of his two seasons at Leverkusen or Leipzig. He's now showing his Serie A form, which was absolutely dynamic, which is the reason he was brought to Germany. And he's had two single goal seasons for, for Leipzig and Leverkusen. And, and therefore, this run that he's on at the moment is a bit anomalous. Now, in... in in um in tournaments, those anomalous runs can carry on for two, three more games, and suddenly you're the top scorer and your team does brilliantly. But I I, I'm, I look at the way in which Scotland 
managed to open up the checks repeatedly. And it cannot, must not be forgotten, and it won't be forgotten by Southgate's analysts, how well they put the Scotland made Vatslip play in order to stay in the game. So this is a game for England to win. I think initially two, three changes, and then a cleverer use of the bench, which I think is what you're hinting at. Sancho coming on and saying, well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to run this side ragged. He's, he's a class player. And that's the one, the one real big bone of contention for me. S- Southgate choosing what he wants to do with Sancho, that's what managers do. And you take the stick, you take the consequences if you lose. But coming out and saying, he's young, tournament football's hard, you're, you're like, take a look at what he's been doing under not not under not only when there was full uh, the yellow wall was absolutely jam-packed and, and Dortmund's Westphalia Stadium was one of the most daunting places to play football but it, <clears throat> pressure to go abroad at whatever it was 17-ish to a new culture to a new language to thrive to set records in your first season and to be a significant part of the Dortmund side that that rested itself away from disaster which qualifying for the not qualifying the Champions League would have been he was a central part of them making sure that they did qualify for the Champions League and then win the German Cup. T- tournaments like this are child's play to a fellow like Sancho. And, and I, I, that was a misstep from Gareth. Croatia versus Scotland might be a very different game from any other in the group and any other that I can remember seeing Scotland play for a while. In so much as both teams simply have to win and particularly if we get to halftime and, and the game is tight or even level then the second half could be an awful lot of fun. Um, if Scotland are going to do something that they've never ever done, which is escape a group, then they're going to have to do something that they've not done at this tournament, which is score a goal. The midfield that you praised so highly, rightly so, against England are up against another crack unit. But will it be the strikers on either side who actually decide this one? I can't believe you said that the second half could be a lot of not fun. Not fun. I don't mean fun. I mean, we're all, we're all... No, not fun. Exactly. It's just that word just slipped out. Because we're all going to need brown underpants. Um, look, since, since I'm older than most people listening to this, and since I can remember, certainly, 1974, out on goals, 1982, out on goals, Euro 96, out on goals, even Argentina, out on goals... So the, the way forward is obvious. The way forward is obvious. We play beautifully. Rebic or Perisic break away and score. <laughs> we we draw 1-1 one, one and we, we we don't even go home. We stay home. That's the, That'll be the worst <laughs> of it. We haven't even got a bedraggled, you know, we can't go back from Cordoba in Argentina or flipping Frankfurt in Germany, can we? How was your journey home? Ah, 15 minutes. Traffic was great. Eh? Anyway, Neil, there are obviously... Several things to be said about Billy Gilmore. First of all, sorry for the guillotine humour, but it proves he's Scottish. Where else in the world, honestly, would we get uh, a teenage genius emerging? And remember, until June the 11th, he was a teenager. At a time when things are clicking around him, because this, this squad is talented and experienced, and the manager has not only qualified us for a tournament, again, for the first time since France 98, but you can see that he's more than able, that the squad are behind him. There's a new sense of optimism in the country, and he strolls off that Wembley pitch, both when he's subbed and then at the end with the Heineken star of the match trophy, knowing that 
he's given a performance. He knows he's given a performance that he's going to be capable of giving again and again in FA Cup finals, in, in winning Premier Leagues and maybe playing in, in Champions League finals and winning them rather than just being a part of the squad as he is a Champions League winner aged 19 at the time. So which other country would be able to produce that guy with a man-of-the-match performance at Wembley against England and a vital role coming up for him um, this week and he contracts COVID. Only Scotland. Secondly, for him, I'm not too upset about our national team because I've long since learned to live with the idea that we need gravitas in our thought patterns. We need to be better coached, that we need to have footballers of of technique and experience who can begin to replicate the the Scotland national team football I grew up with in the 70s and the 80s. And when we don't have that, um, my world doesn't end and we're in the midst of progress. So I'm much more sorry for Billy Gilmore that he won't get to um, take forward his his domination of, of the stage that he had at Wembley and which he could have had at Hamden. His, it would have been his competitive Hamden full debut. So, um, I'm sad for him. But he's a tough nut. He'll cope with it. But the third thing to say is that it's robbing Scotland of something very specific that Billy Gilmore would have produced and and that's the idea that there is no doubt that the throbbing working two thousand and one a space oddity um odyssey how brain of the Croatian midfield is is Luka Modric, and there is an argument that there's nothing changed about his technique or his vision or his sporting aggression, but his engine is diminished aged whatever he is, 35. And the ability of Billy Gilmore to harass and anticipate and rob and nip at his heels and then maybe run away from him, that was going to be the foundation stone of of Scotland's tactic, I think. It remains a foundation stone, so it just has to be done without Billy Gilmore. What a pity. So these are your four teams that you've talked about that are open to you in your selection of our Player of the Day, feature that's brought to you by Bet365. England, Croatia. Scotland, Czech Republic. Who's your guy? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become all uh, Celtic and um, what do you call it when you're superstitious? And I'm going to leave Scotland well alone because I've said enough nice things about them. And I can ruin that game on my own for us. Curse it forever. So I'm going to go for uh, a boy called Jack Grealish because whatever happens when I watch England, I I want to be entertained. And there hasn't been oodles of that in these two games. In the second game, I'm delighted about it. But I felt sorry for Grealish because Scotland did really treat him the way that, unfortunately, brutally, was was streetwise. And they they tag-team fouled him. Why was that? Not because of his haircut, not because of his shaven calves, not because of his brummy accent, but because every little touch he had was causing danger. And 
referees watch each other's games and they chat. I think it'll be harder for the Czechs to tag team foul Grealish. For whoever is refereeing at Wembley, they'll have seen what Scotland did and they'll be looking for that. I would. I think Grealish makes things happen, creates spaces, turns team, makes teams create, uh, give away fouls. He's strong, he's characterful. He's the, he's the guy that can lift that entire game, lift the entire team, make them dare. But because two Scots are talking here and there's a wide variety of nationalities listening, I'm not going to go all England, England, England. Football is made to be enjoyed. Largely, this has been a really enjoyable tournament, not just because of the goals scored. We've seen an awful lot of daring, interesting, sometimes titanic football. And whatever happens at Wembley in England, the Czech Republic, if you watch and Grealish is on the pitch, you're going to be repaid for the act of watching. Um, and I'd really quite like the idea of both these mates, uh, John McGinn and Jack Grealish, being in the last 16. So, come on, Jack. Come on, Gareth. You're our Bet365 man of the day, Jack Grealish. OK, thanks, Graham. That is our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow to focus on Spain on their final match day in the group phase. Until then, thank you very much for listening and enjoy your Euro today.